Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shante, and Whole and Complete is all about faith and wellness, loving God and living well, and welcome to season four. So if you are brand new to this podcast, welcome. There are three seasons that precede this one, and I encourage you to go back and to listen to those because there's some good stuff in there. But this is a series-based podcast, and we are in the middle of our first series of the season, which is the Breakup Series. And I usually don't like talking about myself too much in this podcast, um, but this is where we've started. (laughs) This is where we've landed. And so if you missed part one that kind of sets the backdrop, I encourage you to go back there and take a listen. But as we are in the middle of a series, let me go straight to our guiding scripture, which is the same as it was for the last episode. It is Proverbs chapter four, verse seven. And it says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. And that's really what this uh, series has been about, is about getting understanding, about navigating some of the choices that I made in my last relationship and also looking at some of the dynamics about how it fell apart and all of that. Because when we go through hard things, I think that what compounds the grief or the loss or the hurt is when you can't extract the learning and the lessons from that, you know, and so when you can, it really makes it a little bit easier to take steps forward and to kind of steady yourself and ready yourself for what comes after that. And so I've been sharing my lessons from that experience. And I also realized that in every episode, we or every series, we kind of start with a working definition. And I forgot our definition for the first episode. See y'all, I'm rusty. I've been off the air and I didn't came back and forgot how to do stuff. So our definition of breakup, which I realize is pretty self-explanatory, but just to make sure that we are dotting our I's and crossing our T's, the definition of breakup that we are using is when a couple separates or terminates their romantic relationship. Okay. So In this episode, in part two of this series, we are going to be talking about all the feelings, needs assessment, and getting lit, the books that helped me heal from this experience. So let's start with all the feelings, my favorite topic, not. Um, You all know that over the years, I have really kind of come into my own in terms of like valuing emotions because I used to stuff them and suppress them. I realized how much I just sounded like Rick James right there. Um where he used to love them and leave them, use and abuse them. (laughs) But we are talking about feelings. And one of the things that I have realized while I do this work in this space is that people are varied and complex creatures so that nobody is ever only the best things that they've ever done, nor are they only the worst things that they've ever done. And I think that when breakups happen, it's really easy to get into the weeds of what the other person said or did that was painful or hurtful um, or that was counterproductive to growing the relationship. But the truth is every relationship, even the healthy ones, every relationship has its good and bad parts. And back in the days, I would be really quick to vilify the other person and play the victim card about all the ways that I was wronged. But if I'm being completely honest, you know, the man that I dated is not a bad person, you know, despite his avoidant tendencies, We really clicked in a lot of ways. And even though when we started dating, my ego was trying to redeem itself (laughs) from the dating app disasters 
of last year, it's not like I was settling for him. You know, he wasn't a settle. He's successful. He's educated. He's very handsome. He's funny, et cetera, et cetera. He really ticked a lot of boxes for me. And when the relationship ended, I was forced to contend with this cavalcade of emotions. And y'all know me, I am a thug in recovery, okay? I hate feeling all the feelings, even though I know it's absolutely necessary for my own growth and healing. So here is the emotional breakdown of what I experienced in this process. So the first and probably most obvious is sadness. But I wasn't just sad because the relationship had ended. I was more sad because things didn't have to be that way. You know what I'm saying? Like when there could have been an alternative ending, if only certain dynamics were different, it really could have been a a healthy, happy, successful and thriving relationship. And so I was more sad because things did not have to be the way that they were. But when the irresistible force meets the immovable object, something has to give. And when you are dating and in relationship, there is a natural tendency to grow closer. But when one person is moving closer and the other person is moving away, that cannot sustain itself. The next thing I felt was anxiety, which was something new for me. It's new for me. Apparently, it's not new to my therapist. I said, you know, I think I have anxiety issues. And she said, welcome to the party, toots. Um, (laughs) You know, she been peeped that um, when the relationship ended and as it was ending, I was overcome with anxiety. I am a logic person. I am an academic and a global scholar. And on paper, he and I should have worked. Okay, we we should have worked. We were goal oriented, ambitious. We had all the makings of a power couple. And then when we talked about distance, like why there was this distance between us, he didn't have a solid answer. And my brain works like a Rubik's cube. It's always turning and contemplating and problem solving. And when I realized there was no way forward, it really frustrated me because in a relationship, like Rob Bay say, it take two to make a thing go right. You know, this is not basketball. And I think that too often in relationships, people try to be the star player, right? You know, like this is a basketball team and and the team, uh, the player can just put the team on his back and, you know, carry them over the finish line, you know, or, or just shoot all the shots and, and try to make sure that they win the game. But in a relationship, in a healthy relationship, both people have to be in it to win it. Relationships are a team sport. It's a team endeavor. It's a group project. And so when you prefer to be solo dolo, okay, when you prefer to be alone, when you don't like to rely on or need other people and you you hate that dynamic, then it's never going to work. Another thing that I experienced was grief. And grief is different from sadness because one thing that I never wanted to be was in that throng of single women that you see on social media talking about, Lord, I've seen what you've done for others. <laughs> I did not want to be in that number. I did not want any parts of that life. And yet here I was. And when I was in relationship, I thought that that chapter of singleness had reached its end and I could start focusing on my forever But that was not to be. And I was grieved about that. Okay, so you're not just grieving the loss of the person and the loss of the relationship. You're also grieving what your attachments were to being in relationship and all the attachments that you had assigned to what being coupled up really meant to you. And I felt this deep sense of loss about the relationship. Yes, but also about what that relationship represented. 
And then I felt anger. Anger is actually my default. You know, I don't put too much stock in the Zodiac. I am an Aries and Aries is the Greek god of war. And it it takes a while to light my fuse. But when the fuse is lit, child, it's about to be thunder and lightning, you know. And anger definitely came uh, full force through this process. You know, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, you know that for several seasons, like Arya Stark had this list of grievances that she would just repeat, like this hit list of people who had did her dirty and how she was going to get them back. And and that's what I had. I had made a list of grievances. And the more and more I thought about it, the longer and longer the list got. And I was able to see in black and white. So when I say I made a list, like I literally made a list, <laughs> you know, so I was able to see in black and white the dynamics that clearly indicated that what we had was not a sustainable partnership. And even though the relationship was peaceful because we never argued and at times it was playful because we laughed a lot, it was not sustainable, which brings us to needs assessment. I realized through this experience how important it is to be crystal clear on what you want and not waver from that. I did not want to be Uh, one of these single women who had a long list of 50 criteria about what she wanted in a man. I think that those lists are unrealistic. And I chose to focus instead on a select few characteristics and traits that I felt that we could build upon, right? But this was short-sighted on my part. I don't want to call it a mistake, but I will say it was short-sighted on my part because what I did not take into consideration is what I needed and how I needed to feel in the relationship. Meaning, I might have had this short list of characteristics like kindness, uh, communication, compassion, what have you. But what that doesn't get at is how I need to feel in the relationship. Meaning, because I was dating someone who was avoidant, it made me painfully aware of how much I needed to be with someone who trusts me with his feelings and his emotions. You know, there is this brand of masculinity out there that has this doctrine of emotional disengagement. Meaning for years, young men and boys have been taught that engaging their feelings is weak, that that makes him a punk or a simp. And so what he has learned is to stuff all those feelings, repress those feelings or channel those feelings in really unhealthy and unhelpful ways. And I hate that this exists. I really, really do because men have feelings too, and it doesn't make them weak. It makes them real. But too many men do not have those safe spaces to process their emotions. And so they turn to things like violence or aggression or promiscuity or drugs or alcohol, because that seems quote unquote manlier than saying, I'm hurt. That seems manlier than saying I'm afraid. That seems manlier than saying I feel abandoned or neglected or betrayed. And so when young men and boys are indoctrinated with this notion that this is what masculinity is, that this is what it means to be a manly man, and then they grow up and get in relationships and their partner wants to build closeness through emotional engagement and intimacy, there's nothing there. (laughs) You know, that well is dry and empty because that skill set is severely underdeveloped. Now, that's not to say that they can't overcome that, but there has to be a real willingness to do that. You know, I had a conversation with a good friend over the weekend, and this is a man saying this. So, fellas, because I know y'all listen to this show too, don't don't give me the stink eye. This was out of a man's mouth. He said, 
a man is not going to change until he gets tired of smelling his own shoe. Okay. A man is not going to change until he gets tired of smelling his own shoe. Okay. And we all know that if you stay in the long enough, you get used to the smell, you know? And so that has to be an intrinsically motivated thing to, to, to be willing to do that, that override to override that programming and say, no, I'm going to tap into relationships in a different way. I'm going to tap into relationships in a healthier way. I'm going to fill up my cup. I'm going to fill up the well, you know, and be willing to emotionally engage and invest and be present and, and learn how to make a woman feel emotionally safe and all the things. Okay. You hear so many healthy couples say, you know, he's my best friend or she's my best friend. And what they're really getting at is that this person that this is a person that they feel safe enough to be their whole selves with. You know, when they say, this is my best friend, this is somebody I feel safe enough to be my whole self with, that this person can see me at my best and see me at my worst and love me, understand me, walk through the valleys and celebrate with me on the mountaintop. And I have assurance and comfort that they're not going to walk out the door. Now, that don't mean you can act any old kind of way. Okay, this this doesn't mean take the person for granted. But when you're talking about that sort of best friend dynamic, that that process is cultivated through emotional engagement. And so if you find yourself dating somebody who is avoidant, trust does not come easily for avoidance, if at all. And I realized that one of the keys for me is the need to feel emotionally safe in my relationship. I have been very transparent on this podcast about my childhood traumas. And for me to feel emotional safety, that comes not just in the traditional ways of, you know, being faithful and honest in the relationship, but also letting me know through words and actions that you see me as a safe space. Okay. Because I know if you see me as a safe space and you're willing to let your guardrails down, then I can let my guardrails down. And it's really easy to tell when somebody has their guard up, when somebody is not really willing to engage. And to be fair, so I've seen men do this through uh, humor and sarcasm. Like you try to ask them a serious question and they come back with some quick witted one liner like boom, boom, you know, and it's like, okay, dude, do I need to be paying a cover? Like, am I at your stand up comedy sketch show or whatever? Like, I'm trying to have a real serious conversation with you or I'm trying to get to know you and you're deflecting with all of this humor and sarcasm thinking that you're being funny. But what you're really communicating and what you are really saying is I don't know how or I'm not comfortable engaging emotionally with you I'm not comfortable allowing you to really see me and so I'm going to be the funny guy I'm going to be the self-deprecating guy I'm going to be the sarcastic guy and that is really counterproductive that is that is I'm not going to say it's textbook avoidant behavior but that's definitely one of the ways to avoid emotional engagement and so Another thing I realized through this process, um, kind of like piggybacking off of that, is that I realized that I have a deep need for intimacy and not that snuggly, cuddly kind, even though, you know, that's cool, too. You know, it gets cold in Chicago, so ain't nothing wrong with being booed up on the couch. But emotional intimacy is key for me to be in a sustainable relationship. And here's what I mean by that. Me personally, your host, your friend, (laughs) I am a classic introvert. And regardless of how I act and wild out on this podcast, engaging with people takes a lot out of me. Okay, I love people, but I don't always love people lean. I'm gonna repeat that. I love people, but I don't always love people lean. And so I need a partner that doesn't need me to always be on 
Okay, that doesn't always need me to be Dr. Shantae. That doesn't always need me to be Showtime. And that when I'm quiet or when I'm chilling or when I need space, that nothing is wrong with me, but that I need that time to be the best version of myself. And for me, that requires an intimate understanding of who I am. So in order for my partner to get that, he needs to understand me and and who I am. He needs to be paying attention. And so that means being seen and understood. And that kind of emotional attuning really takes time and intention. And I say all of this to say that when a relationship ends, it's really important to recognize the needs that did or did not get met before you move on to the next one. I mean, your list of characteristics, I want him to be kind and smart and intelligent and all of that. I mean, that's cool. And I'm not saying that that's not helpful or useful, you know, in terms of gauging your interest. But don't neglect or overlook how you want and need to feel in the relationship which brings us to getting lit. So as promised, I said that I would share some of the books that I use to help me navigate this space and come to some of these realizations because I truly was hurt at the end of the relationship. Just like, dang, like, dang, you know, on so many levels. And I talked about some of those emotions in the first part of this episode, but academic that I am, scholar that I am, brainiac that I am, reader that I am, of course, <laughs> I went looking for resources to help me navigate this space because the the logical part of me screams for meaning making. Like I need this to make sense on another level. Like these emotions are cool and all, but I need this to make sense in my logic brain because that's a place that helps me feel safe and secure and, and understood. And so one of the books that I read is called Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. And the author, I believe, is Amir Levine. Uh, This book really does a deep dive into anxious, avoidant and secure attachment styles and how they manifest in adult relationships. This book in particular really helped in the healing process, because once you hear the science behind avoidant attachment, you realize that there is nothing you can do. There was nothing little old me could do to change or alter four decades of learned behavior, you know? So, you know, it's not like I was dating a teenager, you know, this was a grown man. Okay. And and we're only a couple of years apart. And it also helped me to heal because in that avoidant dynamic, it exacerbated anxiety that I did not know I had. So as I'm listening to this book and, and they're talking about some of the characteristics of anxious attachment, I'm like, wait a minute. Some of that sounds like me because I realized how being with an avoidant person made me anxious, <laughs> you know, in that relationship. And in general, I consider myself a pretty chill person, but being in a relationship that was characterized by distance made me question things about myself that I never would. And that was a wake up call about uh, how unhealthy that is and why it needed to end when it did. An activated attachment system. So make sure you go and read the book or, you know, Google activated attachment system is really powerful and it's very hard to overcome. And so when my anxiety got activated, I literally had to do a system override and pull out of the relationship because my anxiety was like, no, stay, figure this out, be patient, figure out a way to make it work. And again, it takes two to make a thing go right. 
And I had to shut that down because a relationship only works when both people are invested in the work. And to be fair, you know, so I talked in episode one of this series about how my ego facilitated some of these dynamics. And I'm sure that it also facilitated some of the dynamics in terms of of its ending, because there's also that kind of Fantasia element. You know, that song she says, if you don't want me, then don't talk to me. Go ahead and free yourself. Listen, um, I have never, (laughs) I have never been an ankle clutcher. If you tell me you don't want to be with me, I'm not going to be the one at the door talking about some, ooh, baby, baby, please. That is not how I roll. I ain't never rolled like that. And I ain't never gonna roll like that. And so if I'm getting the message that I need to fall back, my ego kicks in is like, oh, okay. I'm a fall way back, you know, which is why my default to breakups is scorched earth. It didn't happen in this situation, but scorched earth, for those of you newly listening to this episode, means all pictures deleted, all portals of contact blocked, no socials, no phone, no nothing. Like literally, it'll be like you never, ever existed. And then I move on. And so that is is kind of my ego and hyperdrive like, no, (laughs) no, player, you know, this this is not how it's going to go down. And, you know, I really do believe that in hindsight, in this particular relationship, that if we had had effective communication between one another, because the book also talks a great deal about how effective communication can overcome and navigate some of these obstacles and hurdles, uh, we could have overcome some of these issues. But when you are in a dynamic where a person is creating distance, you start to second guess conversations because you don't want to rock the boat. You'd be like, well, things are already distant or we already don't see each other as is. And so I don't want to use the time that we do see one another talking about things that could potentially rock the boat. Again, kind of triggering that anxiety about conversations that we should have or maybe we shouldn't have. And all of this is covered in the book and I highly, highly recommend it. The second book that really snatched my edges all the way back is a book called Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And I will make sure to put this in the show notes description. But this book in particular really gets at how patterns that reoccur in your life don't just happen to you, but happen through you. And the book forces you to acknowledge the unpacked, unhealed, buried experiences that cause you to be drawn to people that represent parts of a past trauma. This book does a deep dive at how we create meaning from wounds in our past. For example, if you were neglected or abandoned by a parent, you may have interpreted that as I'm not important. So the parental neglect or the parental abandonment, what did you make that mean? And if you made that mean I'm not important, then what can happen is you have this belief embedded in your programming. And then as you grow up or, you know, get into relationships, you tend to be drawn to people who reinforce that narrative. Y'all, I swear, I thought I had resolved all of my mommy and daddy issues. (sighs) Child, this book had me digging up stuff from the archives and it really shined a light on the emotional guardrails that I've put up. And it made me look at my own emotional unavailability and how that was reflected in this last relationship because I didn't think that I was being emotionally unavailable, but I do realize the ways that I was, that I was putting those guardrails up. And I was with somebody who was also emotionally unavailable. And when I tell you that this book had me doing some deep, deep work, 
even my therapist was like, well, damn, you know, (laughs) so if you are noticing some recurring patterns in your love life that are toxic and unhealthy, I can assure you that this book will definitely have you taking a closer look at your programming and make it inescapable about the changes that you need to make in order to pivot and start attracting and being drawn to a different type of dynamic. And the last book that helped me heal is called A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. When I tell you, you will feel exposed after reading this book. It is amazing to see yourself through the lens of somebody who doesn't even know you. And in part one of this series, I talked about how ego plays such a a huge role in my last relationship. And Marianne really digs into how the ego can drive these unwise decisions that reinforce our fears to be seen and known. So on one hand, many of us desire that level of, of deep intimacy. But on the other hand, our actions often show that we are afraid of being that close. And so we make choices that we feel are safer choices, choices that we know are going to crumble in our fingertips because that's what we really expect. We have an expectation failure. We expect it not to work out. We expect to be left. We expect to be overlooked. We expect, you know, all of these negative dynamics. And because that's the narrative that we expect and the one that we're familiar with, even though we might have a desire for one thing, our actions draw us into a different direction. And when I read some excerpts from this book to my therapist, she was like, where's the tambourine? Cause you know, <laughs> new listeners every now and then you will definitely hear the shake of the tambourine because that is my tool of affirmation on this show. But she is well familiar with the tambourine because that book will definitely have you being like, dang, drag me. Okay. So those are three of the books that I highly recommend. If you are going through a breakup um, or you've been single for a while and you're just thinking about how to get into a good headspace before you pivot to uh, another relationship or think about getting back in the dating pool, I highly recommend those three books. And this is also part of the reason why six uh, season four took six months to get here because all summer long while I was doing hot girl summer things, I was also doing healed girl summer things and it was a lot of work. So that is all I'm going to say about the breakup. I had to get this off my chest and clear the air so that I could navigate this season with clarity and transparency. I don't think everything is for public consumption. And even in this instance, y'all don't have every juicy detail, but because we spend so much time talking about mental wellness in this space, which sometimes includes dating and relationships, I would be remiss not to share my own journey with that. So next week, I will be inviting a guest into our space to unpack the larger themes of breakups and healthy relationships. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, you know, you can reach me at Dr. Shante Says, and I will see you next time.